I told you last weekend, if you were here, um, our family went down to Renton downtown Christmas lighting. Remember that? And uh, I, I forgot one great part of the story, probably one of the best parts. Uh, you know, Santa showed up. And that was, it was really something because, I mean, out of all the towns he could choose, he came to Renton. It was like, wow, that was awesome. And so we're all waiting with bated breath, and, you know, the, the attention turned away from the pavilion out to the curb, and the crowds are kind of all sort of hovering around the, the main walkway there. And, and then we hear this fire truck sirens. And he turns around and looks, and where's that coming from? And, and around the corner comes this one of, I guess Renton's got some old-fashioned, like 1938 fire trucks. I mean, the old kind of, you see in the old movies, really cool. He's like, there he is, there he is. You remember, he's all excited. And he pulls up right in front and out jumps Santa Claus. The rain stopped, the sky's cleared, and he comes, he comes walking down. And people are crowding around, literally, and just shaking his hand. He's ho, 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 shaking hands, little kids and everything else. And, of course, Penny and Charlotte, are like, their eyes are like this. Well, Charlotte's were. Charlotte's eyes were like this, and, and so she reached out as he passed by, and he shook her hand. Penny, meanwhile, is kind of going, she's, she's trying to get in on it, but not so much, you know. And anyway, Charlotte turns around and goes, Mom, I told you he was real. <laughs> and that was so precious, so precious. That is what I call a defining moment. You believe in Santa Claus, and there he is before your very eyes. He's real. You know, um, it'll probably be another defining moment in a few years when she discovers he's not real. <laughs> but I, I actually, you know, in our household, we had a, a kind of a quandary about what do you do with Santa Claus when you're a Christian? Because, you know, some Christians go way over in this direction and say, you know, Satan and Santa, you rearrange the letters, and it's like the devil's way of minimizing Jesus. And I thought, oh, that's kind of extreme. Um, Santa Claus and presents are kind of like the Easter Bunny, just a distraction, a happy distraction, but a distraction no less. But then I read in uh, this book called, um, what's it called now? It's um, A Season Well Lived. And uh, there was a great one-liner in there that said, you know what? Children's worlds revolve around make-believe. It's not just Santa Claus. It's everything they do. They make their dolls talk. They make their cars have engines. Everything they do is make-believe. And so I'm thinking, that actually fits a learning style for a child at a certain age range. So throwing Santa in there isn't a horrible thing. So I just want to throw that out to you if you're a grandparent or parent. Um, there's a way to weave it in, and, and you can eventually tell them about the real St. Nicholas, who uh, was an absolutely amazing Christian, if you ever check him out. So anyway, that was quite a, what I would call a defining moment for Charlotte. And uh, the birth of Christ is also a defining moment for planet Earth. It changed everything. It changed the way man viewed God, the way God dealt with mankind. It changed everything. It would define the history of the earth from that day forward. Isaiah was a, uh, a man whose life was changed as well. But before I talk about the defining moments in his life, I, I want to just talk about what is that exactly? What does that mean? A defining moment is, is an event or an experience or a, a revelation from God, an aha moment that absolutely turns you in a brand new direction. And you suddenly go, oh my gosh, I can never be the same after what just happened. 
I, I have to live life differently. I have to act differently. I have to tar have different targets. Now, those events can actually be really negative events, too. It could be a, a really tragic occurrence in your life. But those two can actually turn us in a direction, brand new way, that's actually better for us. It defines who we are from that day forward. I'm not sure if you saw this on the news, but there was a driver, a member of the North Korean elite army, who drove around army sergeants. Uh, and a few days ago, as he's driving his officers, they were dropped off. He got back in the car and just punched it straight for South Korea. And he was trying to get out. He was trying to escape. And I actually have a short newscast. I want you to take a look at this because talk about a defining moment. Let's, let's just watch this man. Now, did, how many of you saw that, that little track? It, it was really quite startling because just in case you didn't know this, people don't like living there. Um, it's not a happy place. And uh, I'll tell you some more about that. But let's, let's take a look at this moment here. Doctors in South Korea say a wounded North Korean soldier whose dramatic defection was all caught on video is now conscious. The United Nations released new video from several security cameras that show this daring escape. He was chased and then shot by fellow North Korean soldiers. Ben Tracy is in Beijing with how the defector barely made it out alive. Ben, good morning again. Good morning. This is the first time in a decade that a North Korean soldier has defected by crossing the heavily armed border with the South. And his escape looked like something right out of a Hollywood movie. The extraordinary video begins with this army jeep racing down an empty road inside the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. North Korean soldiers, aware something is wrong, run from their checkpoints and begin to chase their fleeing comrade. The defector's truck gets stuck, and he then literally runs for his life. The other soldiers follow and open fire, shooting at him approximately 40 times. The defector was racing to cross the military demarcation line, the official boundary between the two countries inside the DMZ. The UN command says North Korea's army violated the 1953 Korean War armistice in their pursuit of the fleeing soldier. The KPA violated the armistice agreement by one, firing weapons across the MDL, and two, by actually crossing the MDL temporarily. You can see this North Korean soldier briefly crosses the line and then hurries back. This heat-seeking video then shows South Korean soldiers dragging the lifeless body of the defector to safety. He was flown by helicopter to a South Korean hospital where doctors removed at least five bullets from his body. Now, doctors say they found several parasites in the soldier's body, which gives you a sense of how bad conditions are in North Korea. We've also been told that since he woke up in the hospital, he's apparently been riveted by watching action movies and American TV shows, including CSI. <laughs> Vlad? Okay. Ben Tracy in Beijing. Thank you. So, I know that's, that's kind of like not Christmas approved, but, but it does really make a point. There are things that will happen to us or choices that we will make that will forever change us. And I can guarantee you when this man begins to get used to living in a democratic, free society, whether he stays in South Korea, comes to the States, or anywhere else, slowly but surely, his life is going to be completely different than it ever was before. Now, I have a feeling he probably imagined this escape many, 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 many times, driving those officers back and forth to wherever they were going. But there came a moment where he had to make a decision. He said, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going for it.
And he probably didn't plan to get stuck in that ditch. But you know, he, being shot five times would slow anybody down, let alone kill him. He lived through it. He was dragged to safety. The guys who rescued him were lying on the ground so that they would not get shot. This is the point. When you and I have had, either had an experience happen to us or make a decision that is absolutely different than what we've been doing before, the future will be absolutely different. And that's the beauty about being a Christian, is we have the freedom in Christ to make those choices. So I want to talk to you about the defining moments of Christmas, and this is where we come back to our friend Isaiah. As you know, he's uh, the most powerful prophet of the Old Testament and is, is extremely well-versed in the future that God has for his kingdom. And God gives him prophecies and pictures and all kinds of metaphors for the coming of the Savior. And we have to back up before we talk about the prophecies because Isaiah himself had a defining moment. If you read back in chapter 6, Isaiah was presented with an appearance of God. There are six angelic beings kind of floating around his throne. And in the middle of the throne, you know, the glory of God is just flaming and blazing. And, and, and Isaiah sees him and he kind of freaks out. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and so is everybody else around me. Basically saying, I am a mess, God, don't kill me. However, God is desperately in need of a spokesperson. Uh, what was happening was uh, Assyria was coming down from the north. They had just conquered the northern kingdom, Israel, and they're now moving into Judah where Isaiah lived. And God is saying, okay, we've got to do something about this, but I need a spokesperson. And so God basically brings an angel, sends an angel to him and says, Isaiah, I see your sin. I see that you are a mess, absolutely disqualified, unqualified for this mission, but I'm going to touch a coal to your lips and boom, you're going to be absolutely clean and purified and forgiven. So God, bless you. So God kind of sets aside the disqualifying factor and says, you know what? I need anybody. And what was Isaiah's response? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Talk about your defining moment for him. Probably living a life is kind of like going, well, I'll do the Christian thing, but I don't really want to, you know, get that far out there with God because I am kind of a mess and kind of useless to the point where he says, here I am. Send me. And he becomes one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. So when you think about that, now that he's yielded to God, now the Lord says, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some things that will change the course of history. And that's where we arrive at Isaiah chapter, what is it, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And some of you have got these memorized, but I want to put them up there on the screen anyway because um, it's an absolutely profound moment that he's referring to 700 years into the future. So Isaiah is speaking, but actually God is speaking through him. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end." He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There are some really cool things that God says about his son in the future. 
And those things are absolutely applicable today, not just because they're true historically, but because you and I can do something about it today. We can live our lives differently today. And one of the things that I, I find really is kind of troubling, but also encouraging. It, it's got that two-sided coin sort of feel to it. And it's this. It's that God's transfer of power happens gradually. Think about it. Transfer of power. God the Father is transferring power and authority to his Son. But it's not going to happen all at once. I like the way Isaiah states this. And the government, the control of planet Earth will be. What's that? That's called a future verb. Will be on his shoulders. It's not all going to happen at once. It'll be a gradual transition of power from God the Father to God the Son. It won't happen overnight. The defining moment of the birth of Christ that changed the course of history was just the beginning. Notice when Jesus came as a child, he didn't just take over on the throne, right? Oh, is God, the government's mine now. I'm in charge. No. Even his process was a gradual one into his adulthood and then becoming the Messiah. But until then, before full and complete control, government, rulership can occur, there's going to be a war zone that we live in. It's going to be a lot of opposition. Um, bad things will happen to good people. And there will be casualties, and we're all evidence of that. We're all sitting here. We've had experiences that have been destructive in our lives and the government of Christ hasn't really fully been implemented in us personally. But at least the transfer of power has begun. That's the good news. Do you know what the emergence of light, when the sun rises, it actually bends, as it's coming around the globe, actually bends up and over the earth. So that's why we get this kind of pre-sunrise dawn. It's a slow and gradual thing because light rays can bend. And then you see the sun. It's a really cool thing. And that's exactly what's happening right now. When we think about Jesus being in charge, being in Lord of all, and really getting this world back in order, what we're seeing right now is the pre-sunrise dawn. What I like about that is um, it's becoming very clear that the government of Christ is emerging. You know how I know? Because of all of the public figures, television, powerful figures in government who are now being exposed for their indiscretions and sexual misbehavior. I, I, it's, it's tragic, it's sad, but I'm absolutely excited that holiness and light and Jesus being in charge are beginning to emerge. It's a gradual, like, sunrise of righteousness. It's like, it's really happening. Wow. And every single day, somebody else, it seems like, has been exposed. I'm not out to get anybody. I'm not putting myself higher than them because everyone in this room are vulnerable to the same temptations that they're being caught for. Matt Lauer, who has been the anchor of the Today Show for the last 20 years, had gained this reputation of being America's greatest dad. Mr. Clean, you know. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Mr. Family-Oriented Happy Guy. And it turns out he was completely living a double life. And it is because women came forward and exposed him, sure. 
Bless their hearts for being so courageous and being willing to take the flack. But ultimately, I think it's the Spirit of God that's doing what he's going to do. Notice that the, the phrase says, the government will be as in its future, but it also says, it will be on his shoulder. It's going to happen. With this, um, one of the uh, colleagues that he worked with on the Today Show uh, was being interviewed, and, and she made a, a really... I think prophetic statement. You know what she said? She said, it's reckoning day in America. Wow. It's profound. The government will be on his shoulders. He will take over. And that's actually good news if you're on his right side. <laughs> Not great news if you're on his wrong side. But that kind of brings me to this point. If by any chance you're engaged in anything similar um, and trying to hide it, this would probably be a good time to end that. I'd recommend that you don't test the patience of the Lord. And um, God is no respecter of persons, whether you live on Wall Street or Washington, D.C., or you work at Walmart. You know, we're all equal before him. And he says, the light has come. So I love the fact that his government is coming and that transfer of power is coming slowly, but it has begun, and it will continue until he returns. And it all began at that one defining moment when Jesus was born, and it's going to come, go all the way until he returns. Hallelujah. That's actually good news. Now, I know our flesh hates that kind of stuff because our flesh is sort of like, ew, I'm scared. Well, it's supposed to be scared. That's why he died on the cross, so that we could get rid of the scary stuff and just walk in the light and in freedom. So is there any area of his government where you're decreasing instead of increasing? It'd be a good time to say, I, I need to continue increasing. Let this be my defining moment. I want to I get right with him. Second thing I like about this passage in uh, this picture of the coming Christ is a defining moment can happen when we recognize that we can be at peace with our past. You know, a lot of us are raised with um, all kinds of just condemnation, criticism, maybe our household wasn't very positive, or we just had some really bad experiences as an adult, or we made some horrible choices, and so we've kind of, you know what happens when you either get beat down by someone else, or we make poor choices, you sort of gain this identity around that activity, or that behavior, or that event, and you begin to sort of take on this personhood, like, this is who I am now, and it's really tough, even after you get saved, to put off that old self, and to take on the new self, is it? that's a lot of work, it takes years sometimes, but the cool thing is, at that moment Jesus was born, we get a, a job description of what he's going to be like in the final analysis. It says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We have to keep in mind this was first spoken to the Israelites back in, I keep saying 700, I think it is, yeah, Isaiah lived around 700 B.C. And the Israelites um, really needed to hear this. They were not doing well with God. They were, you know, going off doing their own thing. They were intermarrying, and they were worshiping uh, other gods, and other tribes around them were kind of mingling, and they weren't supposed to be doing that, and God was getting upset with them. 
God recognized that after Israel, the northern kingdom fell, and Judah was the next one to be taken down, and he had already prophesied, you are going down. You, you need to learn your lesson, and you do deserve this. So he was not you know, withholding that. But he said, if I keep that side of the coin going, they're going to get so depressed they will give up. I don't want that. So I've got to remind them that in the future, this is who I will return to being for you because you'll return to me. I see it coming. I see it coming. I see, I see how this ends, and you don't stay far from me. You come back. And I want you to know that when you come back, this is who I'm going to be for you. Is that good news or what? The cool thing is, you know when we're, when we're kind of getting off track a little bit with the Lord and um, we don't get caught for a while? We do praise God for his patience, don't we? And we, don't, we are thankful that Romans says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm so thankful for that. And part of that is because he's patient with us because he sees how this ends. He sees us coming back. That's why, you know what, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to expose you or embarrass you or shame you right now because, A, I love you, and B, it won't help. I see how this ends. You're coming back. And so I love that he sees that, and he sees that for every one of us in this room. That's our potential. So we don't have to take on that identity of our past behavior. We can take on the new identity. But we have to recognize that Satan is a bully, and he will do everything he can to try to beat us into the mold of that former person and try to tell us that's who we are and we're, we're some pathetic mess who's never going to get out of anything or change at all. You know, that you are the person who always hurts people because that's what you used to do. You are the person who always makes bad choices. You're always selfish and you always will be. The Satan's a liar, right? Amen. And so I'm so thankful that this one single moment, the birth of Christ, will begin this process of you and I coming to grips with our new reality. We're children of God. We're new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. I don't have to walk around with my head hanging down. I can lift my head. I've been accepted in the beloved. I'm forgiven. I'm whiter than snow. When I was a young Christian, I for some reason, got it locked into my head. You know that verse, um, a man reaps what he sows? I memorized that because I thought it was a good verse. You know, God is not mocked for a man reaps what he sows, James something or other. And I, I really love that verse because what that told me is I kind of have control of my destiny. If I sow good stuff, then I'm going to reap good stuff. And I, I'm sort of like, oh, that's nice to have a little control. Who doesn't like control? Right? And so I, I kind of took that to an extreme where I began to believe that God really wasn't in charge of anything. It was all about me. And my behavior had an exact kind of A plus B always equals C sort of formula to it. And I, I began to think that ah, I, I'm, I don't like being in control. Number one, it makes me tired. But number two, it's really hard to change. And so I, I had an event. I had a, a defining moment in my life. Pam and I were... Um, looking for a new rental home. We had uh, just started the church here, and we were living kind of out by Chuck and Ann Meese. I don't know if the yellow flashing light on Petrovitsky right there, right up the hill, about a block from Chuck and Ann's. And uh, we were renting out there, and we needed to get closer to Fairwood because all of our people lived here. We were meeting in the school. We wanted to be in the neighborhood. So we were looking for a rental, and so after church one Sunday, Pam said, let's just take a drive. Let's just drive through Fairwood. And of course, in my mind, I'm going, wait a minute. 
we can hardly scratch two nickels together. We're never going to live here. You know, so the house we were renting was affordable. But she goes, no, no, let's just drive through. Let's just see what God has. Now, see, in my mind, I'm going, wait, A plus B equals C. This is not worth doing. It's not even, it's pointless. Don't even start. But I'll drive because you want me to, and I love you. And so we're cruising down Fairwood Boulevard, right down the main drag there, and these houses on the right are on the golf course. And, and we see this massive, I don't know what's it called, sort of, it's big white with them. Colonial kind of house, yeah. And uh, there's a sign in the driveway on this, like, I don't know, they're having a garage sale or something like that. It just said, for sale. And Pam goes, look, for sale, pull over. And I said, honey, it's the table. It's not the house, you know. It doesn't, and it doesn't say for rent. It says for sale. No, no, pull over. I think God wants us to, to live here. Wow. So that was, that was like, okay, my big test. I'm going, okay, wait. You reap what you sow, A plus B. This is not, uh, it doesn't make sense at all. But I, you know, obediently said, okay, sure, honey, because I love you. I went up and knocked on the door. And the guy opens the door and I said, hi, we're wondering if your house is for rent. And he goes, wait a minute, we haven't even listed it yet. It, it is, but not for about a week or so. How did you know? <laughs> we didn't. We just, the Lord just told us. Now, I'm, I'm not believing this. I'm just mimicking Pam's words. <laughs> but that was a defining moment. He goes, yeah, yeah, here's his number. Call him up. He lives in California and, uh, and figure it out. Yeah, he would love to, love to rent it out to you. We got into that house within a month. And like at half the price of what it would have normally cost. That changed me. It added to my list of ways to walk with God. You don't just reap what you sow. You also let God do miraculous things that you completely don't understand and cannot plan for. That was a change because I was just like, I'm a mathematician, man. Everything's got straight lines and blocks and square corners, you know. Defining moment. So I love it. When we can be at peace with our past, I didn't have to stay the way I used to be. I can keep the good parts of that, but also change and see something brand new about the way I walk with God. There's a third thing that I like that Isaiah points out here. You know what? Let me talk about our past a little bit more, just in case, just in case one person here needs to hear this. With the birth of Jesus, it's the opportunity that our past doesn't have to control our future. And we have to remember that even though God is the judge, and when we were kind of outside of the family of God, he was our judge and executioner. That's what happens when you don't come to Christ. But now he's calling himself um, wonderful counselor. So on days like everyday life, when you feel dumb and clueless, it's okay. You have a wonderful counselor who will tell you what to do if you just ask. That's who he wants to be with us. Even if we've been dumb in the past, he'll be our counselor. If you've ever felt weak, you just can't overcome this, man. Every time this temptation comes by, I crumble. It's okay. He is your mighty God. He's got power, and he lives in you. No matter how insignificant you feel because perhaps you were a fatherless child or an orphan or you're given up for adoption or something like that. It's okay. He's your everlasting father in genuine, everyday, real-life terms. And if you've worried and been afraid that something's going too well here, it's going to go south really quick, I'm sure of it, it's okay. He's your prince of peace. And do you know that word peace? I love this. We talked about this during our Rooted series. Um, 
That word peace is actually shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean, ah. Irene is the Greek word for, ah, I'm at peace. No war. No, shalom is a much broader, richer word. It means wholesome, fulfilled, complete, prosperous, joyful, thorough. So if that's who our Savior is and that's what will occur in a 100% fashion when he returns, we can still enjoy the increasing measure of that right now. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So third thing. This is so liberating. Guess what? Not every fight is our fight. We're talking about Isaiah's prophesying this miraculous moment when God, the creator, will cram himself into the creature and take on all the frailties of humanity. And by the way, because of the curse in the garden and Eve having to bear children in pain, guess what? Jesus came down the birth canal and got squeezed as tightly as all the rest of us. And it hurt his mom. The zeal of the Lord is what did that. He didn't do it. Jesus didn't do it for himself. Mary didn't do it. Joseph didn't do it. God did that. That was his business. That was his deal. And it is so encouraging to know not every fight is my fight. Not every fight is your fight. There are some things where we are just over our head. It's not in my wheelhouse. There are days when I wish I could add a couple of hours to the day so I can get everything done. Guess what? That's not in my wheelhouse. Can't do that. I have no power over time or the rotation of the earth. When we were building this building here uh, back in the 80s, I had a defining moment with the, um, the septic guy. We were... Uh, we were told after we talked to architects and engineers and talked to the county, we were kind of really getting excited. We're sort of, things were underway, you know, where it's like a money was put down and contractor was chosen, and, and yet the brakes were put on. Because the health department really gets first crack at any decision on whether to build or not. And that decision is based on whether or not you can dispose of your waste. And because we were thousands of feet from the sewer, that was not even an option, so we had to build a septic tank and a drain field. And the only way you can get a drain field in King County is you have to have 36 inches between the topsoil and the hard pan. And so our septic guy came out here, and he's out there digging holes, I think a little backhoe or a shovel or something kind of tool, had to dig like four different holes throughout the property. And he said, the first question we have to answer is, do you have 36 inches between the top and the hard pan? And I'm going, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Because if you don't, no building, you can't do anything. You can't live on porta potties. It's not going to happen, you know. So I'm just going, oh, Jesus, 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 let there be bad dirt, add dirt, add dirt. <laughs> Because I just had a feeling, in fact, he, you know, he had, he had a, a geotechnical engineer come out and said, yeah, generally out here the hard pan is pretty shallow. It's like 18 inches, 36 inches in some places, but it's pretty shallow in this part of King County. Um, so anyway, he's digging, 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 and um, he comes back at the end of the day and he says, Alex, the, um, the test holes that we've dug are it's actually a couple of 30-inch ones. Actually, two of them, two of them are about 35.5 inches deep. Oh, Jesus. But we're going to give it to you. I said, you have authority. 
<laughs> I'm not going to argue with you at all about integrity and the law and all that. Your choice, we're in. The zeal of the Lord accomplished that. There's no way that I could have lobbied him or talked him into it or anything else. I probably would have ruined it if I had tried. The cool thing is God decided he wants a church building on this property filled with people who love him, and he did that. That was his fight, not mine. But it wasn't over. That was only half of the test. The other half is this one. That was in summer. We had to wait till wintertime to do the other half of the test. It's called the percolation test, where you just go back to those holes during the rainiest time of the year, November through February, where it's already saturated, and they have to fill it up with water and put a stopwatch on it and see how fast it drains. <laughs> There's like a certain table, you know, this much room and this much water and this much speed. And so he, the clock is ticking, and it's taking like hours or days or something, and I'm thinking, I could go scoop water out of there. <laughs> but of course, there was no way I could do that. Guess what? It passed. It percolated. The zeal of the Lord did that. So you and I have to recognize, you know, where, does, where do my limits end and where do, where do God's begin? The beauty is Jesus and his birth, that defining moment in the history of planet Earth, cut loose all of those glorious opportunities with God to occur. And so the question we have to ask, I think this morning, is um, what are the defining moments that have already occurred in my life that I need to remember and go back to and maybe etch on my brain or on my hand or on the wall or on a piece of paper or stick it in my wallet. What are those moments where God spoke and I actually really became a different person from that point on, but I've sort of drifted back because either I forgot or I didn't really think it was that big a deal because I think the Lord wants us to stay on the new path of the new life that he initiated with the birth of his son. Not every fight is your fight. Can you imagine if the Seahawks took on the Kentwood Chargers? It's no fight. It's the same when we see God taking on the devil. It's not a fight. There's, they're not on equal territory. God is the Almighty. Are there some things you long for to happen that you could just start asking the Lord to do? Lord, I need something brand. I, I need a whole new perspective on this issue or that direction or that future goal. I, I, I need to become a different person in here. I need you to do something that I'll never forget. I don't want to be shot at at the border to get the point, but I do need something big enough that it impacts me for the rest of my life. Christmas is a demonstration that God loves doing that. And every one of us are candidates. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is um, absolutely capable and eager to act outside the laws of nature. That, Lord, is totally within your wheelhouse to set some things aside so you can accomplish your will. And that's not just in nature, but in us. So, Father, would you remind us of the things that we may have forgotten or just began to treat lightly that you've already done so we can come back to living the new life you began back then? And, Lord, would you begin to produce new opportunities, new events, new aha moments, new revelation that will set us in an even more direct path to you, to your kingdom, to becoming the people that you've created us to be? 
And I want to just ask if you'll close your eyes right now and uh, give people a little time with the Lord. If there's something that you've identified, either that you're pulling back up in your memory log to the present or you're crying out for something new, would you raise your hand? Just say, Lord, yes, I, I need a defining moment or I want to get back to that one. Yes, good, good, yeah, good. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are faithful. When we ask, your word says, when we pray according to your will, we will receive. And I believe, Lord, that we're in the ballpark. So would you finish what you've begun in us this Christmas season, this Christmas season, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, may God bless you this week. Uh, By the way, today's the first day of Advent. Yeah. So take some time to consider Jesus as the light of the world and slowly come into the season before you start getting frantic. God bless you. See you next Sunday.